before a single Bible is placed or a scripture is shared with someone around the world, Gideons are joined together in prayer. They seek the Lord's will for witnessing opportunities, for the open hearts and minds of those they encounter, and for the effectiveness of their work as an extension of the church. For we know this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, hey, good morning, church. Good to see you. Uh, it is I again. It is uh, Weston. I'm the worship pastor here. Good to see you. Uh, man, it's super exciting to be here. And let me just tell you, we have the privilege of uh, having somebody on our team who not only helps us out every single day with all of the building stuff that's going on and across this building and the office and the new building that's being built, but we have a privilege of, of having him involved in an amazing organization that is truly showing what it looks like to be the hands and feet of Jesus and are working to get the word of God into the hands of people all across the globe. And so can we just welcome Brian Harden up to the platform who's going to speak to us a few words this morning about this awesome organization, Gideon's International. Good morning. Did you know there are 8 billion people in the world today and nearly 3 billion have never heard the name of Jesus, at least in their own language? They've never had the opportunity to hold the word of God in their own hands or hear the gospel that they can clearly understand. That is the most effective thing that we do is to win the lost and dying world to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we distribute the word of God. That is why we're distributing over one million copies of the word of God every five days. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a praise the Lord. Thank you. So our object is to win others to Christ by helping Christian businessmen and, and their wives as they strive side by side to influence those for Christ in their homes, their workplaces, and their churches. Since our ministry began many years ago, we have roughly distributed 2.5 billion, wow, scriptures of the word of God. We do this free of charge with one singular focus, and that is to reach men women, boys, and girls, to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We work to distribute the word of God in the traffic lanes of life, whether that's hotels, hospitals, nursing homes. We also give testaments to students in schools, colleges, prisoners, police, fire, medical personnel, as long, and our military personnel and the armed forces. We encourage our men and their wives to share the gospel at least once a week using these small testaments that, have, that we hand out. In the front of these, there's 34 of life's most pressing needs that we can help them with, and they show how to get to them in the testament. Today, we're organized in over 199 countries, territories, and possessions. We have Bibles that are printed in 109 languages, and last year, we handed out over 70 million copies of the Word of God. We also are privileged to have a Bible app and that Bible app has 1,924 languages, so we can share that around the world. Our Gideon membership consists of about 260,000 people that are born again, men, women, and uh, that are members of their local churches. They stand ready to place the word of God in people's hands. 
I'd like to share with you, I recently went to Nicaragua a little over a month ago, and in there, we were able to distribute 95,000 copies of the Word of God, which is 1.4% of the population directly. And we know it's many more because those testaments were going home to families. So we were able to go to hospitals, universities, and high school classrooms. The team I was on, we were able to visit over 140 classrooms where we actually got to share our testimonies. So it was about 20 minutes, so 10 minutes of me talking and 10 minutes of a translator's. And those, those kids were anxious to hear God's word. They didn't have a lot of money, but they had a copy of God's word, which is much more than any money they could ever get. So for some of them, that is the first thing they've ever gotten as far as a book in their life. I'd like to tell you about one student we had. One student says, I've been asking for God's word for over two years. And this is the first time he got it. So again, this is the only book he has in his family, and it's the word of God. We gave them to teachers. Teachers don't times have lots of, of books. So teachers were actually taking this and having the kids read out of it so they could understand and how to read. Isn't that amazing what God is doing? So though we touch over a million people every, every five days, there's thousands of people that we miss. Even though two people receive these testaments every time your heart beats, there's still people that we miss. So you might ask, well, how can you help? Well, I'll ask you to pray for us. Pray for open doors so that we can go out and spread God's word even more. And if you feel uh, that you want to help us with funds to help purchase scriptures. And also, if you're a professional businessman and like to join our organization, there'll be people back at the table where we can talk to you and so that you too can share to your employees, customers, and family and church members. So that's why we serve. We want to see people turn to Christ. We share the, the heart of God around the world. So thank you for letting me share today. Yeah, can we just celebrate? Thank you, Brian. Just awesome to hear practically the, the touch and the outreach that Gideon's had across this entire world. And I'm sure some of y'all remember opening a drawer in a hotel room and seeing the Bible there, right? So awesome. Hey, um, a few things going on before we do. Of course, we all know we're in a, a, a moment of prayer today. We're praying for the Kraken to win tonight. Come on, we want them to face... My boy is the Golden Knight, so let's be in prayer. I'm on your side today. It's all good. Uh, but hey, we got something awesome happening. The, May, uh, the month of May is going to be a lot of fun. Coming up on the 20th, if you're, uh, if you're a lady in the house, say, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's up? Hey, uh, we've got, you know what? You are invited to join us here. Well, I won't be there. I'm sorry. But the Women's Spring Tea is happening right in this room on Saturday, May 20th. It's from 11 to 1. And let me tell you. This place gets decked out. I mean, there are tables that are, are just decked out to the gills, all right? My, my wife went last year. She sent me pictures. It's amazing to see how decorative these tables. This place just completely transforms for the spring tea, but it's filled with food. It's filled with awesome tea and awesome people. And so you can sign up right now on your phone, mrccnow.org. Please come. It's just a great time of fellowship just for the, all the women in the church. And then speaking of fellowship, if you're a dude in the house, I'm here to say, yo. Oh, what's up, dudes? Hey, in about three weeks, we have our men's conference taking place over in the Tri-Cities area. And it's kind of like a men's retreat and men's conference together because we rented out an entire lodge to ourselves to have all the guys under one roof 
There's going to be time of devotion and connection and a lot of fun stuff and activities. But we're also going to be able to worship together at the conference, receive an amazing word, encourage each other. And let me just tell you from personal experience, God does something amazing when we intentionally choose to take time away out of our busy lives, out of the white noise of our routines, and with the intentionality of pursuing him and pursuing connection. And let me tell you, the guys, we need connection. Amen? So let me just encourage you. You can sign up right now on your phone. There's still room in the lodge. Um, it, it, uh, we are also going to be taking a big caravan. On that, it's a, the 19th and 20th. You can ride with us in the caravan. We've got 20 seats available in the actual church vans. And if you're going and you have some room in your vehicle and might want to offer a couple seats for some other guys, let me know. Uh, but we hope that you'll join us and just be part of this awesome experience that we get to have together. As dudes, I promise there will be lots of meat there. And last off, you've been hearing this about the, over the last few weeks, but something awesome is happening in here this Saturday, and it's called Living a Called Life. We've been calling it LCL for short. But some of us, you might be asking, what is that? But what that is, is, well, in the book of Acts, it says that we are given dreams and that everyone has a calling. And so what this is, is actually a guided experience that Greg is leading through with the guided experience with the Holy Spirit to seek out God's calling in our lives. And so if you've kind of just been feeling like you've been in a state of wandering, right? Or man, God, just show me a sign, or I just need direction in my life. Man, be encouraged to come, take part in this cool event. Lunch is going to be served. But we're going to have our team there. It's going to be an awesome Saturday. This Saturday, you can sign up right now. If you forget to sign up, I'm sure if you show up, we won't mind. And so... Hey, speaking of calling, we have the opportunity to hear from our brother, Ty, our youth pastor, Tyler Cash, who's given us a great message today on calling. Can we just give it up for him today? Thank you. Oh, man. There's a lot more people in second service than first service. I promise to um, not throw up. For all you who thought the front row was a great idea, bet you're second guessing that now. We should just give ponchos out splash zone. Oh, man. Hey, before we get started, let's pray. Dear Lord, whatever you have for us, we want it, we receive it, and we are ready for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know I'm a youth pastor because I got to pray really quick to keep these kids' attention. Um, before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you to Pastor Greg. Um, it is actually his birthday today. Um, so please, if you have his phone number, send him like terribly awkward, weird Star Trek memes, because uh, I know he will love that. Um, also, we have this wonderful picture of him. Avery? Yeah! Man, I'm so getting fired for this. No, I'm just kidding. Look at that mullet, though! That is a great, great mullet. Hey, Greg actually sent that picture to us, um, so it's out there. Uh, but I just wanted to say thank you to, to him and to everyone on this team, uh, that we get to, to share this platform. Um, it's, it's truly an amazing thing what we have here at MRCC. Uh, my name is Tyler, like Pastor Weston said. Um, I've been married for five years, almost six. Uh, this is my wife and I. Hmm? There it is, that's my wife and I. Um, we've been married for almost six years uh, celebrating that in August. If you didn't know who I was, now you know. Now we're best friends. Um, Greg usually starts his messages off with a, a question, 
And I was like, I had a question. He's like, don't do that. I was like, okay. He's like, just do you. So I have a story to start us off. And today's message is called Unfinished Business. Dr. Ronald Meeks, a biblical studies teacher at Blue Mountain Community College, writes, I have not had the opportunity to travel much, but several years ago, my dad went on a trip to Italy through his business, and he asked me to go along. A highlight of the trip was visiting Florence, the great city of Renaissance. One afternoon, out of curiosity, I went to a museum where some works of Michelangelo were displayed. As we viewed the half-finished sculpture of St. Matthew, the tour guide explained that this unfinished work was a prime example of Michelangelo's philosophy of art. He believed that in the stone, there was a figure or statue waiting to be released. The work of the artist was to free that statue from the stone. The statue was so lifelike that I thought any minute, St. Matthew might just step out of that huge stone. As I looked at the half-finished statue, I could see that the artist had begun to free the statue, but had not been able to complete it. The tour guide went on to explain that Michelangelo had numerous works that he had never finished. And I thought about God's work in us, and I realized that God had begin to, has begun a work in us to conform us to the image of Christ. And however, unlike Michelangelo, God does not stop working in our lives until he finishes what he intends to accomplish. We're going to be all over the Bible today. Old Testament, New Testament, but we're starting in Philippians 1.6. It says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God will finish what he has started, and ultimately, God has no unfinished works of grace. Um, there were not a lot of millennials in first service, so if there's any millennials in second service, please raise your hand. Okay, there's a lot more of you now. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, so you guys will understand this. Do you remember growing up in elementary school um, when the teacher was like, readers are leaders, right? I agree with that. It was very cheesy. We had these nice inspirational posters with like kittens and daisies on them. And it was like, readers are leaders. And I was like, all right, cool. And I read like the most random books. But uh, in church, growing up in youth ministry, um, there was a saying that I firmly believe in, and it is, note takers are world changers. So please, if you are taking notes, uh, do it. And if you're not, I encourage you to take notes. Point number one, God is not finished with us, though we may have sinned. Have you ever thought while reading the Bible, you're like, God can never use me. I have sinned way too much in my past. I've done too many bad things. Um, I encourage you to go back and read the Bible uh, because it is full of terrible, sinful people, and we are just like them. In Matthew chapter 14, which is where we're going to start today, it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied. So uh, if you don't know, Peter likes to test Jesus a lot um, in many different instances. And he's testing him here, uh, which is probably not the greatest thing to do, especially when he's, what he's doing is asking to walk on water. He says, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Jesus, then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached his hand out and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? 
And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are a son of God. We've all heard this story before, right? Peter walking on water and then failing and then Jesus redeeming him. But uh, I want to pay attention to one specific part, and it is in verse 32. I have it highlighted and, and underlined in my, book, in my Bible right here. It says, and when they climbed into the boat. What does that mean? It means that Jesus and Peter had to walk back to the boat together. Yes, Peter did this amazing thing, and he felt accomplished. And yes, when he took his eyes off of Jesus, he had this realization that it was scary, and he couldn't believe himself, and he failed to continue to walk on water. And yes, Jesus saved him. But what we, realize, what we fail to realize here is that they had to walk back to the boat together. Peter walked on water again. It doesn't say that Jesus carried him. They climbed back into the boat together right after his failure. So what if you have sinned and failed? Jesus will pick you up, redeem you, and walk back with you because he's not finished with you yet. Point number two, God is not finished with us even though we have been rejected. I have uh, personally had friends um, just stop speaking to me uh, because of who I was and what I believed in. And growing up in the church, um, and also being a pastor's kid, um, being a pastor's kid in high school uh, is not cool. Just throwing that out there. And uh, I definitely hid my faith a lot uh, because I wanted to fit in and I wanted to feel cool. Uh, by the language that I had, by the actions that I took, um, I, I wanted to do these things so I could fit in. Christ's disciples initially rejected Paul, but God wasn't finished with him yet. In Acts chapter 9 uh, starting at verse 20, we're going to read through a few of these verses. It says, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. This is after Paul uh, became, or excuse me, uh, this is after Saul, who is Paul, uh, had um, the Lord speak to him and blind him on the road to Damascus because he was going to persecute Christians. It says, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And yet, hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with him and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Paul left Jerusalem, a hardened enemy of Christ and Christianity, to persecute the church in Damascus. But through God's grace, he instead preached the gospel to the very ones he had gone to persecute. So great was Paul's reputation that the disciples did not believe him. They thought it was a ploy to trap them. Yet God was not finished with him. And though man had rejected him, Barnabas was the only one who won over the other disciples. And Paul ended up preaching boldly in the name of the Lord and writing most of the New Testament. We may believe that our rejection is a sign that God has given up on us, but it's not. Point number three, God is not finished with us, though we may have found our comfort zones. I'm going to struggle with this, so bear with me. An old adage, i got to slow it down, familiarity breeds contempt. 
We can easily grow weary of the things that we're used to doing over and over and over again. We say that our lives are just in a rut. We could just as easily be fooled into thinking that because we are doing the same thing over and over again in the church that we have found where we're going to serve forever and we're going to be there forever, that may or may not be true. In the Old Testament, uh, we're going to look at Moses. And uh, in Exodus chapter 2, Moses, we see him grow up in a royal household underneath Pharaoh in Egypt. He kills a man, runs away, gets married, and starts a new life thinking that he had left his previous life behind and he got uncomfortable. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, uh, and if you want to read it, it's in Exodus chapter 2. We're picking this up in Exodus chapter 3, starting at verse 10. It says, so now go. This is God speaking to Moses through the burning bush. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? Uh, Every time I read this, I like to think of um, the, I'm just going to be honest, terrible Casting Crowns song. I know I offended someone there. I'm sorry. It just it's, it's the Christian version of Creed. When you play this song, uh, the very first words, he just goes, who am I? And he just tries to sound like Creed so bad. So every time I, you think I'm kidding, go listen to it. Man, their Spotify plays are going to skyrocket today. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. In Exodus chapter 4, after this, Moses uses and tries every excuse not to go. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? God says, drop your staff and pick it back up. And he turns it into a snake. It's like a mic drop. He's like, drop it. And then it turns into a snake and he picks it back up. He says, God, I can't speak well. I have this stutter, this speech impediment. And God sends Moses, his brother, to speak on his behalf. God gave Moses a resolution each time, just like he will for us. We may think that because we have found our comfortable place to live and minister, that God will not lead us into something more challenging, but he may not be finished with us yet. I look at my progression over the years here. uh, I was a student. I was a youth leader. I was an intern. I was the media director here, and now I'm the youth pastor. God wasn't done with me even though I was comfortable in my position. Being completely transparent with you, 100% honest, I did not want to be a youth pastor for a very long time. I didn't necessarily run from it, but I definitely ignored what God was speaking to me and how he wanted to utilize me. I started saying yes to Jesus and started saying yes to his plan, and he led me out of my comfort zone to utilize me for his plan. Not even just vocationally, but in my own personal growth. I was a sinner. I was very angry. I was very insecure. Insecure. I've been broken. I've been redeemed through God's grace. God was not done with me yet, even though I was comfortable in my growth. God is not finished with us, though we may have unremovable hardships. We all have weaknesses or something that we are struggling with continually on a basis. Maybe you have a really annoying coworker like I do down in the basement. His name's Brent Smith, and I love him very much. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. No, I, I love Brent very much. If you ever want a glimpse into what it's like working at the church, um, all of us under the age of 30 are uh, banished to what we like to call the dungeon. And... Um, 
probably like 10 times a week, uh, either Brent or myself will play like some random song that we both know. I mean, we've gone from like September, Earth, Wind, and Fire all the way to With Arms Wide Open by Creed. Um, and one of us will walk into the other's office and just sing it at the top of our lungs. And then the song ends and then we're done and we go back to working. So that's what it's like working here, especially in the dungeon. Mark chapter 8, it says, They came to Bethesda, and some people brought a blind man and begged him, begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? I want to pause really quick right here. Um, I, I give this uh, warning to students, so I'm just going to give it to the rest of you. Um, if you're praying for healing for someone, please don't spit on them. Don't spit on them. You will 100% get arrested for that in this day and age. He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were clearly open. His sight was restored, and he saw everything. We're going to break this passage down just a little bit. It says, they traveled to Bethesda, and when they arrived, some people brought Jesus, a blind man, and begged him to touch him. As in other instances in Mark, this man had friends who cared about him enough to bring him to Jesus. Those who could see were concerned about their friend who couldn't see. And with hope, they brought him to Jesus. I want friends like that. I want friends who recognize that uh, I'm missing out on what they have. And they want to bring me to Jesus. Going so far as to carry me, to break down roofs and lower me to Jesus. Nevertheless, as Jesus laid his hands on him, healing had already begun. Jesus asked him in verse 23, do you see anything? The man then looked up, which, hallelujah, he probably was not able to do for a very long time. He couldn't see, so what's the point of looking up and looking around? And he saw people. This must have bent, bent Ben, wow, this must have brought such a joy to his heart. And from what follows, his basic recognition of shapes, it seems that perhaps maybe at one point he had eyesight at one time. Regardless, now he could see. And even if his eyesight was left like this, he was like, oh, it's a little blurry, but I can still see. This is way better than what I had before. It's way better than not seeing at all, right? The man responded, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. I don't know um, if he was a Lord of the Rings fan, um, specifically in the Two Towers movie, and he just saw what the tree people looked like, um, and he was just referencing that. Uh, but maybe he was. But there are different ways to translate this. Uh, but the meaning seems to be that now he could see and he could recognize that what he saw were people. But they seemed to resemble the trunks of trees rather than distinct persons. The man could see. There was no doubt about that. But he could not see clearly. And clarity was his desire. Jesus responded by laying hands on him again. With the result that the man opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. From that moment on, the man's life was changed. His whole life was flipped right side up. And he could function again in his community. He could see his friends again. Maybe, who knows how long it had been, but maybe one of them had gained weight. And he was like, mm, you were different last time I saw you. I got a nice embarrassing story to tell you real quick. Uh, we, I have a youth leader. Uh, his name is Luke. We call him Cousin Luke. And he uh, is not my cousin. He is uh, Pastor Josh's cousin. And when he came to uh, spend time with 
us in lead and youth ministry, uh, the name just stuck, and it has stuck since then. So we just call him Cousin Luke. And I had met him several years ago. I don't know what I had met him at, um, but I had met him, and then a couple months goes by, and he is here helping out (laughs) at youth. We're outside. I think we were getting ready for a food fight or something. And uh, I got reintroduced to him, and I was like, yeah, that's right. I remember you. And do you know how scientists say um, that your brain isn't fully developed till you're like 28 years old? Well, I'm 29, so, and I'm also a late bloomer, so my brain definitely has not evolved yet. And this was a couple years ago, and it was one of those things where, like, I spewed the words, and I'm trying to catch them, and um, it didn't work because they still came out. And I was like, oh, yeah. You were a lot thinner the last time I saw you. And like I say that, and I'm like, no. And he just like, (laughs) he just like looked at me and was like, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Oh, man. We're friends now, I promise. Like, we're good friends. He's still a youth leader. But a question that we have to ask ourselves is what is necessary for God to continue working on me? Number one, we have to be honest. This story confronts us with a self-examining question. Do I realize what I am missing out on? And if so, I need to humble myself and ask for help rather than wasting my life running around in the darkness and the blur. Let's rather confess that too often we see people, but they look like trees walking around. Let us then ask for another touch from Jesus and another and another. Pastor Martin Lloyd Jenkins about this story, this parable, says, above everything else, avoid making premature claims that your blindness is cured. What saved this man was his absolute honesty. We can't settle for less. If this man had simply said, yes, I see, or even yes, I see people, he might not ever have seen more clearly. But he spoke up. He was happy to see lights and shapes. There's no doubt about it. But he knew that something was not right. He knew that even though he was better off than he had been before, things could be better. And what about us? Are we really okay with living with the blur? He was honest with the Lord. And rather than feel as though he had already received so much, and therefore it might be ungrateful to ask for more, or perhaps running the risk of sounding critical of what Jesus had done in his life, he answered that question honestly. Honestly, And no, Jesus wants this honesty from us. God is not done with you. You are a work in progress, and God has far better plans in store for you than you can imagine. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Most people stop right there, okay? And they don't, they don't keep going. And it says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Specifically, verse 13, we're going to read again. You you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. One of those things uh, that we talk about in youth ministry is how we wait on God, right? God does not want a passive wait from us. God wants an active wait. We're actively pursuing him and seeking him with our whole hearts, and that is where we will find him. Jesus touched a blind man and gave him sight and hope and gave him his life back. He touched lepers and gave them dignity and families and future back. 
He touched a woman who was sick and bleeding and gave her health. He touched people who were paralyzed and set them free to walk and run and live. He touched a soldier's wound and healed him. He touched children and gave them blessings. He touched a little dead girl and gave her new life. And sometimes these hardships that we have gone through, they're necessary for us to grow and evolve into what God wants, not what we want. Growing up in, uh, as a millennial in elementary school, to all my fellow millennials who are, are here, do you guys remember the Caterpillar and the Butterfly Project? It's traumatic. They give you like 20 caterpillars and then like three butterflies like bloom and then they just take them out and then they let them go and then they just get eaten by birds, right? I'm being honest. A man found a cocoon of an emperor moth and he took it home so that he could watch the moth come out of this cocoon. On the day a small opening appeared, he sat and watched the moth for several hours as the moth struggled to force the body through that little hole. Then it seemed to stop making any progress, and it appeared as if he had, it had gotten as far as it could and could go no further. It just seemed to be stuck, and then the man, in his kindness, decided to help the moth. So he took a pair of scissors and snipped off the remaining bit of the cocoon. Then the moth emerged easily but it had a swollen body and small shriveled wings. The man continued to watch the moth because he expected at any moment these wings would enlarge and expand and be able to support that body, which would contract in time. Neither happened. And in fact, the little moth spent the rest of its life crawling around with a swollen body and shriveled wings, and it was never able to fly. It probably looked something like this. Maybe. Maybe. There it is. What the man in his kindness and haste did not understand that the restricting cocoon and the struggle required for the moth to get through the tiny opening was the way of forcing fluid from the body of the moth into its wings so that it would be ready for flight once it's achieved freedom from the cocoon. Freedom and flight would only come after the struggle. And by depriving the moth of the struggle, he deprived the moth of health. Sometimes struggles are exactly what we need in our if we were to go through our life without any obstacles, we would be crippled. We would not be as strong as what we could have been. We may think that because we have these hardships that God has not removed, that he's forgotten about us, but God has not forgiven, or God has not forgotten to give grace to us. You may not know where you're going. You may not know what life has in store for you, but you can rest in the fact that there is not uncertainty on God's part. He knows exactly what is going to happen. God begins this great work in us from the moment we are conceived and continues to do so until we draw our last breath. And we can also at times think that in our life, God is finished with us. He's fed up. He's done. However, that is not the case. So if you aren't the person that you want to be, hang in there. God is not done with you yet. If you remember, you know, receiving a word from God, being touched by God maybe years ago, but you feel like you've let God down, join the club, right? We're all sinners, but God is not done with us yet. And so as long as we are willing, we are a work of God in progress. Going back to the first verse that we talked about today is Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
the postal service used to say, not not the band, the government entity, the one that delivers your mail, used to say that neither wind nor rain nor hail nor snow will keep us from our appointed rounds. We're gonna modify that a little bit today and say that neither sin nor rejection nor complacency nor unremovable hardships nor an uncertain future will keep God from completing his work in us. We must just like Paul and Moses and Peter and countless others rely entirely on God. We must continue to live the life of strength that Christ has in our weakness. We must continue to allow God to complete the work he has begun in us. And as we close today, I just invite you to stand with me as we pray. Lord God, we know that your plan is greater than our plan. We know that you are strong when we are weak and we're going to rely on that and rest in that in the fact that we know that you are greater and your plan is greater. Whatever you have for us, Jesus, we receive it, we want it, and we wanna go with it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I do not have a benediction, um, but if my mom was here and she was preaching, I know what hers would be. And if you know my mom, she has several little sayings. Um, but I remember growing up when my siblings and I would fight about something. I mean, we fought about the dumbest things. Um, those with uh, brothers and sisters, you totally understand that and get that. Um, but she would bring us into the room and she would just say this simple thing, love each other. And so I leave you with that this morning. Love each other. Thanks. Thanks.